0: Forever! <laughs>
1: Dog! Just Between Us hey.
2: Just Between Us hey. Hello! I'm Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and my stomach rumbles all the time.
3: Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and frequent flyer.
2: Oh, what qualifies you as a frequent flyer? Do you get emails saying, hello, frequent flyer?
3: Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Yeah. And I realized that I flew so much before the pandemic and then no flying at all. And then now back to it. The first year that Mal and I were together, I was going to see them in New York all the goddamn time. I was on planes.
2: I hate flying.
3: Yeah. Why?
2: (laughs) And it's so dirty. (laughs) It is dirty. (laughs) Do you feel
3: like now, though, because of the pandemic, maybe flights are cleaner?
2: I don't know. It's such like a psychological thing for me. And knowing that, like, I'm going to have to wipe everything down and I have to do this and I'm contaminated. Like, it's just like a high stress thing for me. So I don't I don't enjoy doing it. Like, I much prefer doing a road trip.
3: Oh, road trip. Great. Mm -hmm. I like that you can get off when you want on a road trip. Oh, yeah. You can stop. Mal and I did cross the country. Have you ever driven across the whole country?
2: No. No, I actually, I don't want to do that at all. I guess I just prefer to only go places that are, like, less than five hours away from my <laughs> car. <laughs> Driving across the country is fun. Yeah. I did to Colorado, but that was only one night. That felt fine. I didn't want to do more than one night.
3: You get to see the the wide open spaces of Americana.
2: OK, get- um, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty.
3: Fine. Don't romance the open road.
2: I mean, I love that for you.
3: Let me ask you a question. I want to fly to like Japan or Italy. Like I want to do like whatever. And Mal was like, what if we just went somewhere to a beach that was close by? <laughs> and, but I'm like, I want to go to like a beach in Italy. And Mal's like, but to get to that beach, it's 14 hours.
2: Right. Yeah. Being in L.A. makes it a lot harder to go places. Because <laughs> it's just extra. Like when I lived in New York, like going to Europe, like it wasn't as daunting of an idea. Yeah. But
3: I was like, but then you're on a beach in Italy. And Mal's like, it's still a beach. Like, this is too practical for me. I want the romance of it.
2: I just want to no longer be in grad school so I can, like, plan trips outside of, like, the two weeks a year that I don't have class. When are you done? Um, never. Okay. Yeah, so. Allison
3: turns out in grad school for the rest of time. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people listening to this in grad school are nodding their heads going, I, I too, am in grad
2: school for the rest of my life. It's so hard because it's, like, if things go according to plan, then it would be, like, middle of 2023 I'd finally be done oh my god
3: yeah that is I, a know. Long
2: time. I know I <laughs> know I'm sorry I wanted to be like it's not so bad but that's bad that's bad <laughs> I could be done at the end of 2022 but I need to take off time for my book so I can't start my practicum until the fall and then you have to do like nine months of practicum
3: so. Allison's so busy what a mover and shaker in the mental health space I'm sorry. I have to take time off grad school because I have to promote and write my book. Look at you. You're like a famous <laughs> mental health person. It's not true. but thank You're you. like a successful mental health person. So busy.
2: Booked and busy. Well, I just feel like I don't want to do it. I <laughs> want I don't want to <laughs> I don't wanna finish. I don't want to do practicum. I just want to do the classes, but I have to do the practicum to get the degree.
3: Well, think of it as then you'll have a degree and then all your future books will be like by professional, serious, professional
2: person. Yeah. I'm going to say, please put that on the title. Yeah. By professional, serious, professional person. (laughs) Absolutely.
3: (laughs) Well, this week on the show, we're going to be asking Daniella Flores some tough questions about side hustles. Speaking of being stressed and working.
2: (laughs) And later we'll be talking all about reboots. Do we like them? Do we hate them? Do we need them? Um, my elderly neighbor says no. <laughs> <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question, so you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Kiki, New Zealand. Fun. Very close to being Kiwi from New Zealand. Ah. Which is what they say there all the that, That's what, what they're, they're called. called. Yeah, anyway. <gasps> I know culture. Um... <laughs> Okay, so Kiki says, Hi, Allison and Gabby. Long, long, long time listener. I'm in a bit of a pickle potentially and was wanting to see if you had any insight. Oh, we do. Don't say you don't (laughs) know yet. (laughs) TLDR. I have never wanted to be a parent, but I think that I now want to. This isn't what my partner and I have agreed to. I don't want to want a child, and I don't know what to do. My name is Kiki, she, her, and I'm a 27-year-old woman living in New Zealand. I'm engaged with my fiancé, 29, non-binary, and I have been stuck in different countries since before the beginning of the pandemic. We aren't monogamous, but it has been really hard, and I have completed an entire degree since the time we have separated. Wow. Even though we knew that we would be apart for a year or so, they have a stable job and wanted to save some before they came to join me, It has been a long time, and I feel like even though I love them a lot and want to be with them, I have changed a lot. Recently, I have started to feel like I might want to have kids, which, like, I don't, and I never have, and they don't either. I have never wanted it at all before this year. Logically, it is a really bad idea in terms of how I feel and what is important to me, but I feel particularly with the age I am and with the effects that the pandemic has had on everyone's lifestyle, I have been changing. Now I want a kid or kids. I don't know what to do. I know my partner still doesn't want children, and I don't want to want them, but the feeling has been getting stronger and stronger over the past few months, and I am afraid that it might be here to stay. I am bewildered, and I don't know what to say or do. I don't think it's coming from people from immediately around me. I'm the queer one in the family, so my parents have placed the expectation of grandkids on all my other siblings. I also had plans to buy a house with my best friend, who has a primary school-aged child, and if I do end up wanting having a kid, the whole plan and trajectory of my life is going to completely change. If I commit to this idea, I feel like my whole life is going to crumble away. I don't know what to do, when the point is that I should say something, and what the best approach is. Any thoughts and insights you might have be able to bring would be much appreciated. Though, if you don't read this, then it is obviously completely (laughs) fine. Too late. (laughs) Wow.
3: I think bringing it up sooner rather than later is probably the best thing. I would ask, why do you think you now want a child? What are the reasons? Because I'm concerned that loneliness might be part of it, Due to your partner being away, or due to the pandemic causing people to spend more time alone, which is why a lot of people got dogs during the pandemic that now don't fit their lifestyle at all. I would interrogate deeply what the reason is because sometimes people have kids for the wrong reason,
2: you know? That's so interesting. That's not where I jumped to at all. I kind of jumped to like, we do change, and like, I think it's really important to honor the changes that we make. And, you know, 27 it's not like you're 45 and suddenly you decided you want to have a kid like you know your brain probably only formed like a year ago (laughs) so I I think I'm still waiting (laughs) I think that I know that it probably feels so abrupt and completely different than like who you are and all this stuff and how you envisioned your life but you're still in your 20s. Like a lot of times how we envision our life changes drastically in our 20s or 30s or throughout our lifespan. And so I, I hope that you don't see it as like a betrayal of who you are. If anything, just being able to like honor, oh, okay, I'm noticing and I'm noticing and curious about this change in myself. And what do I do with this information? And I think obviously the first step is to, is to talk to your partner about it.
3: Yeah, you should. I, I, again, when you're saying at what point should I say something? uh now
2: <laughs> yeah i mean people change all the time like think about people who've been in relationships and they've you know they've gone through uh, changes in their gender mm-hmm. or even changes in their sexuality or like this is i this probably feels like incredibly isolating and like oh no what's wrong with me that i've changed in this way but people are changing all of the time
3: right you even you saying like you've changed a lot since you last saw them you got a full degree like, 25 to 27 are huge changes. Mm-hmm. You go from being one, one type of person to another type of person in your 20s every year, I think. Like, you change so much in your 20s. And so, like, of course you're not going to be the same person you were at 25. Like, of course you're not going to be the same person you were at 26. Like, I don't want to jump to being harsh and being like, why? why do you want a kid? But I think you're thinking of it as, like, my whole life will crumble away. And I want you to think about it as, what would my life gain? What would be beneficial about having a child to me? Like you're, you're saying you're framing it as like of what you would lose. And I want you to sit down and really think about what you would gain. What joy would this child bring to my life? What joy would becoming a parent bring to my life? What, what would it add to what I have going on um, versus just viewing it as like a loss?
2: Also, it's not that your life would crumble away, it's that your plan would change. Yes, exactly. It's not like you're already living with your partner or living with your friend in Mm -hmm. that house. Like, these are all just kind of like plans for your life that you've had. And so, I think to make a shift now, it really kind of makes sense because you're not locked into all of this other stuff yet. Like, Mm -hmm. even though it feels like you've made these plans, there is still more flexibility there. Like, you're not. Married yet. And right. so to be able to say, hey, the way that I'm viewing my future is a little different than what we originally discussed. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, who knows how your partner's feeling? Maybe they've changed too. Maybe mm-hmm. they're more open to the idea of a kid, or maybe a kid is a deal breaker for them. But unfortunately, there are certain big things that mean people aren't compatible. Right. And this might be one of those things, but you don't know until you talk about it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have to talk about it. You definitely have to think about like, if they were like, absolutely not, is that a compromise you could make? Or is it something that is becoming increasingly not a compromise that you want to make? I just think you're thinking about it so negatively and you're beating yourself up and you're being like, I can't believe I have a new desire. I can't believe I've changed. I can't believe I want my life to look different than something that I maybe came up with the plan for two years ago. Like, if your life is going to look different, like, what a joy. Like, what would your housing situation look like? I mean, of course, maybe your friend would be so down to live together and, like, raise your kids together. I think keeping it to yourself is is causing you to spiral and have these, like, what ifs. And if you talk to the people in your life, and then you actually get a handle on what the situation really is rather than just ruminating and, like, being like this is gonna turn out badly this is gonna turn out badly you know it might not it might be amazing
2: <laughs> yeah and I, I mean a lot of times we judge ourselves so differently than other people right and so what would it be like if your friend was like well I want this new thing I didn't want before and therefore I shouldn't have it because I didn't want it before yeah you would be like what <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? and obviously there's complications here with your partner and all of that but Like I said, you never know how that conversation is going to go until you have it. And you are young. There are people that are married for 10 years and then realize that they want different things. Mm -hmm. Like that's just unfortunately a thing that happens. We're human. And as long as like you go about this in a respectful way, like that you have conversations, that you acknowledge, hey, I recognize that this isn't what we agreed to, but I just need to tell you how I'm feeling today like that's important and that's valid. And you don't want to like not pursue the life that you want because when you were younger, you agreed to something else.
3: Absolutely. I think like I went from potentially wanting a kid to now realizing that I probably don't. I'm like grateful that I took the time and really thought about the effect a kid would have on my life. Like what does it look like to actually spend time with a child? What does it look like? to travel with a child. What is it, you know, because I think sometimes the body clock ticks and the social media, perfect mom influencer thing is presented to you where you're like, obviously there's never a problem with having a child, not one day at all. (laughs) And so like going into like what the reality of that looks like day to day, how much does preschool cost? You know, like all these things that you don't think about when it's just like the beauty of of, ch- of having a child and birth and everything. And what does that look like doing that by yourself? If you potentially want to do that by yourself, what does that look like? And what community do you have around you? What support do you have around you? So I think it is a bigger decision than sometimes it's made out to be. So if you're starting to think about it, like start doing all the research, you know, spend time with a child, you know, like see what, what it actually feels like rather than just, you know, because if it's coming out of nowhere for you, maybe you've never gone into the reality of what it looks like to have a kid in your personal life. Yeah.
2: But I, you know, I also think that it's a very common desire to have a child and that like there's a thousand reasons not to do it, but if it is something that you really want and it's like one of your main goals in your life currently, like. Yeah, you obviously have to be smart about it. You have to think about it. But, like, I I I, don't, I wouldn't get yourself at this stage in your life at 27 all caught up in, like, well, I can't afford preschool today. So no. I'm going to continue on my relationship with my partner who doesn't want kids. Like, do no, you know, no, no, like, no, no, if, no. if, I know. if having a kid is your is a major goal of yeah. yours, then I think you figure out a life that allows for that.
3: I'm saying don't make it about the partner. I'm saying, like, the partner is its own thing. But you are the one who will have to be the parent, you know, long-term. So I'm just saying, like, this email was about, like, what do I do about my partner? But, like, I think if this is something that you want, you have to look into it for yourself. And I don't know. I mean, I'm curious at, as to the biological clock flipping on. I know that's a very common experience. I have not had
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think at the beginning of this, you sort of posed, like, the pandemic- Like, we shouldn't trust the changes that the pandemic has caused in us. But I kind of disagree. And I think that the the pandemic has maybe highlighted the things that are really important to us. And maybe for you, you're realizing that it is family. And that it is wanting to start your own family. Mm -hmm. And that's super valid. And, you know, maybe without this extreme situation, it would have taken you to 32 to figure that out. But, you know, like, and also when we go through these major things like a, a pandemic, you're going to be different than if you had never gone through a pandemic. Absolutely. And that's valid. You can't
3: just go back and be like, well, me pre pandemic was this way. And so without the pandemic, it would have turned out like this. And it's like the pandemic happened, baby. Like, right. we're, like we're, here we are.
2: I don't think that there is like a, this idea of like your true self is, is I think can be harmful because yourself is constantly changing. Absolutely, And is is reacting to what's going on around you. Right. Yeah, there's one version of your life where maybe you would never have wanted a kid, but that's not the version that you're in. That's not the universe that's happening. Right. Well, good luck. I hope that the conversation goes well. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com.
3: Stick around after the break. We've got a juicy
2: interview with our highly esteemed guest, Yellow Flores. Stay tuned.
0: Has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a New Year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix? I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out. And I think the not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that. So if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress... I would love to be able to fix it. I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something, and all of a sudden my brain will go, ah, JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by ElectroCore and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which, if used twice a day, will last approximately six months. It's drug-free and easy-to-use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit Truevega.com, T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, and enter promo code JUSTBETWEENUS to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's dot com. Check out promo code JUSTBETWEENUS. Just, between
2: us. just between. back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week
3: on the show, we have Daniela Flores, who uh, is an Instagram that I love to follow. They are a serious side hustler. And after she and her wife, Alexandra, were able to pay off $40,000 of debt with the help of side hustles, she fell in love with dabbling in the idea of financial freedom. Hello.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me on.
3: Yeah, thank you for coming. I I started following you because of the Bad With Money podcast. What do you qualify as dabbling?
1: (laughs) Dabbling is trying a bunch of random stuff and seeing what I like and what like, you know, aligns, I guess, over time. It's a weird experimentation process and it could be a little uncomfortable, but um, I think it's pretty fun.
2: Yeah. So I guess I'm like, what is define a side hustle? Like what is the side hustle mindset?
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, when we define side hustles, it could be anything that you do on the side of any other work that you're doing for money. So that could be, you know, maybe in the gig economy, a job, like a second job, maybe you're freelancing, maybe you want to start something like a blog or a podcast. Um, And then you're kind of doing this thing on the side for money, you know, now it's kind of grown into this big, like, influencer thing where you know people are becoming coaches and it's all about like you know start a side hustle labor nine to five and all that stuff but when you actually go into the history of side hustles actually they first came about in the 1950s so when we talk about side hustles they come up in our history time and time again during times of like economic hardship Mm -hmm. so the word side hustle actually first appeared in a 1950 newspaper called the chicago defender And it was described as either a second job or a scam, but it was during the time of Jim Crow. And that was a traditionally black newspaper. So there were a series of laws that were preventing them from working or getting an education. So they had to create side hustles to survive. And then they didn't become popular again until around 2008 during the recession. And then now during COVID they've boomed.
2: Yeah, what was your own experience with it?
1: Well, my own experience was (laughs) out of like a weird toxic need for money and bad spending, I guess. When I was a teenager, I really didn't know what I was doing with money. I would just make it and immediately spend it. So I would find ways to make up the money back that I spent from my original job, which isn't a good thing. I don't recommend anybody do that. But I started like flipping things. So first I started selling like any clothes or shoes that I had that I didn't want, or I would go to other thrift stores, find stuff and sell that. And then that turned into selling on eBay. Um, you know, originally started like Craigslist um, and eBay and like Facebook Marketplace, and then I was just starting, kind of like trying to think different things out. And then my first legit side hustle, the one that I actually like paid taxes on and stuff, was <laughs> when I became a freelance web developer after I lost my job at my first job out of college. And it was a weird job. It was an unpaid internship at first. I overworked myself to the point of like getting fired, and then I found a side hustle with doing kind of websites and WordPress development for small firms in St. Louis.
3: Okay. So this is my whole thing. Is that like, I, the idea of the side hustle to me is, is hard because it's like just pay people enough at their actual jobs. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So can you speak to that a little bit? Like, because you have so much experience with people coming to you to ask about side hustles, like, why can't their actual jobs just (laughs) be like, I don't, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, like right now we're in this time of traditional employment being a murky situation and corporate America is. Yeah. <laughs> so like people have to go. They've been going out to try to find different ways to either make more money or find ways out of this traditional employment health that they found themselves in. So, yeah, this side hustle has been marketed to people as this kind of saving grace. But that's because there's a need for a saving grace. We should be paying people a livable wage, giving them benefits that actually matter. like. Who cares about snacks at your work or alcohol at the office? No one cares about that. They need to pay their bills. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's another reason side hustles have kind of sprung up too. And then it's weird when you talk about when people lose their jobs, they don't really have a job and they're looking for a side hustle, but they're just looking for a way to make money Mm -hmm. because they don't want to go in through the the horrible ringer of trying to input applications and resumes online because, you know, the black hole that goes into.
2: Right, right. Right. And so is there a way, I mean, I I would assume some people their whole income is just a variety of quote-unquote side hustles right <laughs> right the side hustles that you know work maybe a corporate full-time
1: job or they work a day job of some sort then there's side hustlers that work different side hustles so all they do is side hustles so a lot of gig workers will work on a various on a variety of different gig apps so that's why you see people working uber lyft instacart Doordash, Grubhub like all at the same time because they're trying to just make enough money to pay their bills. But then when we talk about the gig economy, we are opening a whole other bag of worms of unfair pay. Mm -hmm.
3: Right. I was going to say, like, there's so many people that are doing this gig work. They talk about how great it is for flexibility, but they're also, you know, not having health insurance or not like what kind of advice do you have in terms of where can someone get that health insurance? Where can someone make sure that their, ta- you know, their taxes are covered for the gig economy and things like that?
1: So that's something that I haven't figured out myself. Cause you know, my wife and I do have high healthcare bills and that's why I still have a full-time job for health insurance because I right. we've tried to find ways around it. And I was like, I don't want to quit my job and then stress out about like our basic needs of health right. the whole time and paying enough for it. Um, Cause you know, like you'll pay for this insurance that, you can go on like the healthcare.gov website, I guess, and look at the different insurances available in your area for your state and those like certain premiums. And I actually have had to pay my own insurance before um, I've worked as an independent contractor in like the IT web development area. So I've had to do that in the past and it was expensive and it sucks and I didn't have any coverage and I don't want to do that again. And I wish I could give people a good solution for that, but I don't know everyone's health situation because there's people that may be able to slide without health insurance but there's others that desperately need it and right now there isn't a good solution for that there's other apps out there that help like with plush care i think is one of them and that's you like pay a certain premium to have access to doctors and prescriptions and stuff or like the rx coupons that your pharmacy will give you or if you go like on brand name websites for your prescriptions and you can get like those coupons and stuff but besides that like there isn't a good solution
3: No, you not having it figured out is a perfectly relatable and good answer. I think, you know, (laughs) that's the why that's the reason that a lot of these gig economy jobs, as they get bigger and bigger, need to look into unionizing or unionization. But back to the beginning, I am curious, like in 2008, it was kind of seen as like this thing that was empowering or this thing that was be a girl boss and like do your side hustle and like how has what people are doing for side hustles like changed and I, I feel like people have still do it but are more cynical now <laughs> right oh
1: my god at the girl boss movement I feel like MLM's like kind of live behind uh-huh. that around that time and the evolution of how like the information has become available about MLMs. It just, it's been amazing, you know, that we now, it, it basically should be illegal to have MLMs. But, you know, besides that, the gig economy when it first sprung up around that time, yeah, it was this thing of, you know, be your own boss, work your own hours, set your own rates. But then there's this whole thing where, oh, you have to pay the app 20% fee. Right. You have to pay your expenses for your car, your car insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll end up working a lot more hours than a traditional nine to five. You won't have healthcare and... Uh, Right. So, I mean, since like the beginning of the gig economy at the same time, like over this time of 2008 to now, we see this growth of like online blogs and blogging on YouTube and podcasting, of course. And then like TikTok came about. And now there's just all these different ways for somebody to make money from something they create themselves rather than having to work on an app. But you're still using all of these online services to run like your online business or side hustle, like website hosting. You have to, to keep track of taxes and your income. What if you got to reach out to a CPA? You know, you have to maybe use certain software for your... Um, social media or any marketing. So you still have to pay in order to get your you know market your side hustle and make money. Uh, but now it's kind of evolved outside of the gig app structure. And now, with folks having a lot more information around the gig economy and how much it really takes to work in the gig economy, right? Yeah, they've kind of moved away from that to finding other ways they can do it themselves. And there's another thing I want to talk about was, Like the rise of free information online and like free courses, which I think are great, like Udemy I love, and like all those free course platforms that you can go on and learn about doing this. I think that's also changed a lot of it.
2: How do you work with a client to figure out, okay, is the time that I'm spending worth the money I'm going to get back?
1: Yeah, so that is a good question. Usually we start with what time they actually have
2: available in their life to actually do their side hustle.
1: You know, if it's something like, oh, I want to deliver for like Instacart or something, but let's say you only have like two hours a day. and You can't really do that. If you're looking to start your own thing online, there's a lot of work required up front. So like when I started my blog, I spent that first year just working so much and it wasn't really worth it that first year, but you know, over time it was worth it later, but I didn't really learn that myself until like over time. Um, but then I, I kind of look at like the repeat tasks. So like the tasks that they're doing, they're spending a lot of time on that maybe they shouldn't have to, you know, like maybe step away from like you wanting to be so perfect with what you put out there. That's something I had to get over myself too, because that will really burn you out. So that's what I kind of look at is like what they're actually putting their time into and kind of going from there.
3: Aside from influencer or delivery, like, you know, I think of side hustles sometimes more so as being I'm transcribing for a person or I'm. Friends of mine like helping research, you know, a research project or something oh, behind the scenes, like what you're talking about with your IT stuff. So, like with that, if you're freelance and you're, someone says, I want an IT person to help me, you know, how do you know what to charge?
1: That is a good question. So, starting out, I didn't know what to charge. Um, I, the guy who first hired me um, for like being an independent contractor for him, he asked me, like, well, what do you want to make an hour? And I was like, I don't, I have no idea. He said, how about $100 an hour? But it was like starting out 10 hours a week. So, I was like, uh, yeah, that sounds great. But I had no idea of how to do that. Like, So now I've kind of shifted away from freelance web development, freelance IT stuff, since I do that at my day job, and I really don't want to do it outside of that, uh, to a lot of writing. And I found that setting rates with writing, the most helpful was talking to other freelance writers and to see what they charge. And that was like, you know, talking to them, to ones that were specifically writing, like within the same niche for similar publications and similar like links and like, you know, the kind of the kind of projects that they would be. Mm -hmm. And that's how I basically set my rates. I tried to kind of calculate it out with the time I was putting into things, overhead, what I was spending on tools. And I got kind of like a similar number, but then I saw that I was still charging too little. And I got that from talking to other people and then being transparent with me, which I am so grateful for
2: do you like warn clients that it's okay to negotiate prices? Like, I feel like a lot of times I'm so afraid to ask for more because then I think the people will walk away. <laughs> right. That like, yes. if I put out a number that they don't like, then it'll suddenly be like, okay, goodbye forever. But like negotiation is sort of part of the process. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's, that's something I'm still kind of struggling with is re- negotiating, especially with like publications that have a set budget. And let's say I don't like my rates are outside of that. Um, and I have to kind of walk away from things. And I, This year has been all about me actually doing that and not just taking on the work. I'm just like that. where I'm like, oh, I just want to do it anyway. And then I'm like, no, this is a waste of my time. I don't need to sit here, write a thousand words for $50. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's like I've gone through negotiations with publications where they're like, oh, you're too expensive for us at this time. It's like, okay, that's fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I saw a post of yours on Instagram where you were talking about like asking people what their side hustles were, or what the most common side hustles were that people were doing and what, and I love sort of honesty about money. And so like, but I, I have a follow-up question, but my first question is what, what were most of the responses or what do you see most people doing?
1: So a lot of people are doing freelance work. So freelance seems to be like the number one thing lately and freelance is anything from writing to like virtual assistants are really huge right now, like online proofreading and editing. That's a lot of them as well as like just helping you with like everyday tasks. Like if somebody has to do show notes for somebody. So like they're trying to find ways to freelance their skills out in any way that they can. Mm-hmm. Other ones have used like other websites for like transcribing for like per se. Mm-hmm. So it's like transcribed me is one that I saw, which I don't, recommend for anybody to to go through that site they don't really pay anything right yeah so like sites like that stay away from but and besides that other was like gig apps like rover i saw a lot of rover which i love rover even though they don't they take a big chunk of your money but it's still fun to do (laughs) because i just love that so blogging podcasting is big a lot more people are kind of start like on youtube though away from blogging So that's like what I see the most of freelance, trying to start some sort of thing online. But usually the ones that are doing that are kind of supplementing it with another side hustle too.
3: I was thinking about my own experiences of, you know, things that I was doing for to put money together in some form of an income. And I like wanted to comment on your post and be like sex work. And I was so curious, like how many I was like, I bet nobody will admit to that. Or like, I bet, you know, like, it's so interesting. So like, did anybody say that? Is anybody like, it feels so funny. Sometimes the conversation about side hustles is like middle-class white people. And like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like it's not taking into account the realities of like other people's lives and stuff. So I was just curious if anybody had said that. And also like, if there's like a class element or like a, you know, a racial element to, to who can do what.
1: Right. That is a good question. So I, have a couple of followers that do OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do OnlyFans, like, they do a variety of things on OnlyFans. And I didn't know, like, the amount of things that you can do on OnlyFans now is pretty cool, but there are some that do, like, the chatting and texting, like, video chat and Mm -hmm. the sexting work, and OnlyFans seem to be, like, the top ones for that. But I'm seeing a lot of people of color, people that are really just trying to get out of their situation and try to make the most money right now. But that's not something they're trying to stick with. Some of them do really enjoy it. They like the schedule that they have, but others are trying to move on to something outside of like the platforms that they're working on. Um, but that's usually just because they're trying to get a leg up because they see all the side hustle information online, but a lot of it's kind of hard to start and it takes time to start. So the sex work is a lot of, it's not easier, but simpler.
3: Yeah. Like you were saying, these places take a huge chunk. Yeah. Like they almost like people have figured out that people are doing these side hustles that you were could be done pre-internet, but he, like these platforms have figured out that like, oh, we can actually as a corporation make money off of that. And like how, like, and you're talking about how, you know, Rover takes a huge chunk, OnlyFans takes a huge chunk. What are the red flags or like, how do you know, hey, this is actually like taking too much for something that maybe I don't need this app for? If you were dog walker, you should just have dog walker clients, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. So like we actually have a sitter that we found originally on Rover and she moved her business off of Rover. Mm-hmm. And she asked us for this, you know, next time she's like, Hey, is it okay if we do this time, you know, not through Rover, I'm going to do it through my own company that I have now because they've taken so much and you know what, we can't support ourselves on that. So I was like, absolutely. Of, of course, course I will do that. Um, but on top of that, every time we use Rover, we always tip the clients outside the app because knowing that they take 20%. And that's where taking it from the people that are working on their app. So, like, you have other apps that actually don't do that. They take it from the person who's purchasing it from you. Wow. So, like, Airbnb, they have fees, but the fees are taken from you, not the person.
3: You should, when you hire someone through an app, look for where, where the money is being taken from. Yes. And also now you see with, um, with uh, some places that have delivery, they'll send, like, a note being like, hey, don't order on Grubhub. Order directly from our delivery drivers because... Delivery driver used to be a side hustle puzzle. Like in the 90s, you would have the pizza man, you know? Yes, exactly, right?
1: For grocery delivery, you could use, you know, grocery delivery side gig apps all you want, but, you know, to order your groceries. But now a lot of grocery stores offer that directly through their grocery store so they can pay their own delivery drivers.
2: Yeah. Do you recommend like somebody starting off on an app to like build a client base like your dog walker and then move off the app?
1: Yes, so I think
2: that is a great thing to do, like on Rover, especially since they do
1: charge so much of a fee, like that 20% fee, they get, you could start building that clientele on the app. And then slowly over time, you know, ask them like, Hey, is this okay to do outside the app? Here's my process. And you outline everything for them. Maybe if they want it to be very much the same kind of interaction, because like on Rover, when you sit, you give like a, a log of everything you've done you have photos of like with the animals you know just kind of keep everybody up to date and it's like hey if you want the same process we can still give you that but it will just be off of the app you know here's this number or like maybe if you want to use an app for that too like some slack channel or something like it's it depends on what you want to do but i think that is a great solution like for things like dog walking however like if you're on a delivery app like grubhub or instacart or like the driving apps like uber i mean that's going to be kind of difficult to kind of go from that but a lot of those folks to do- don't usually stay I mean those apps have huge turnover rates. There's a lot of folks don't really stay with them for too long and they'll go they'll go on to do something else that's different.
3: How important is recommendations and word of mouth?
1: Huge. That's how I started with everything. Every hustle <laughs> I've ever had is like I've tried so much on apps. Like, you know, to get the kind of the reviews going and, you know, you kind of rank up towards the top and all that. But it takes so long. Word of mouth helps more than anything else. Like, that's how, when I first started my first freelance gig, you know, as a web developer, that was all word of mouth. And I responded to a Craigslist ad on the gig section. This was back in like 2012. So it was a while ago. And when I responded to it, the guy responded back and decided to go with me because he knew about me from like the previous firm i would worked with, even though I, I was fired from there, but he <laughs> liked the work that I did. And he was like, yes, we'd love to work with you. And the next couple of clients after that were all from him.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So if somebody's like, okay, I want to do a side hustle, but I have absolutely no idea what kind, like, do you encourage people to do things that they find interesting that matches with their personality or is it more like what's going to make me the most money in the shortest amount of time?
1: So it depends on like what those person's needs are. So if they really need like money now Mm -hmm. and then the, you know, I would definitely point them towards apps probably just because they could get kind of a sooner return on that money rather than going off and starting like a whole brand thing. And some people don't want to do all that. Anyway, I first talked to them about, Like if it isn't like money related, like if it's something they want to start and they're not hurting for money, like they don't need money in order to, like they don't need that amount of money from the side hustle in order to survive. then we talk about their current curiosities. I don't want to use the word passion because I just think it's been like cop out lately online and follow your passion. (laughs) So it's like, what are you curious about? Like, not like what's the thing that you're most knowledgeable about or most passionate about, but what's something that's actually you're curious about that you're going to put the time in for. That's what you're going to want to go with, but you want to make sure it matches personality and then your lifestyle so we sacrifice so much of like our personal lives for our jobs the time outside of that is your personal time you shouldn't be trying to cut any more of that you're gonna it's gonna backfire mentally and not the best way and that's coming from my own personal experience so i try to work with them best as possible to look at the time that they do have available and the time that they actually want to put into it so like what are the days you want to work if you don't want to work the weekends don't do that then if you have these commitments with your family or with your kids or with your friends then don't sacrifice that time and, you know, start small. Don't jump in because you're going to burn out pretty quick. So just like start small week by week, maybe add up or you know, add more or maybe month by month, add more work and then shift around your schedule because you're going to want to revisit that a lot. Um, somebody who is like ADD and I'm bipolar. So like I will find any reason I can to not work. So I have to look at my schedule a lot and co-working is like a huge thing with me. So I do a lot of co-working with my clients too. What does that mean? That means we just sit on a session and work so like I'll be working on something and they'll be working on something else. And at the beginning of the session, which I got this idea from focus Meet is because I that's what I first started doing it on is you go onto a session, you type in, this is the stuff I want to get done. And you could check in during it in the chat, like we use zoom. And then at the end, you say what you got done and you can have like a little celebration session.
3: That's that's called doubling. That's my partner does that with ADHD, doubling.
1: Doubling, that's what it's
3: called? Yeah, I I think like somebody sitting next to you and working makes you want to sit and work. So I sometimes have to do that with them.
1: That's basically what it is. But just like on webcam, so you can see each other, you're working, but you know, auditory sensory stuff, I'll go on mute and they'll go on mute, you know, we'll just kind of hash out whatever we can.
3: So what if you have a skill? Like I've seen a lot of people where like, I remember my partner plays guitar and like in the past had done guitar lessons or taught a toddler music class, if you can imagine what that was like. But like, yeah, so like if you have a skill, how do you get like clients for that? That's a really
1: good question. So where you start with, I mean, there could be like all these different ways that you could start with this, you know, depending on what the skill is. But let's say if it's at your job, like you use a certain skill at your job and you like the skill and you want to do something with it, like outside of that. I do like LinkedIn for that because LinkedIn has become really friendly for freelancers, especially like leaving your job, doing freelancing after that. That is really a friendly way to do that. Other ways that you can try out your skills for money and like trying ways to to make a side hustle out of that is maybe reaching out to like your family or friends that need help with anything. So like if you are maybe trying to do like virtual assisting, asking them if maybe if any of them have a small business to try, but I also like Instagram for looking for small businesses in your local area that might need that help. And then Facebook groups, even though I hate Facebook, I do like the group function. At least when I started out, it was very helpful just for the community aspect. That's free to talk to other people and to look at like work available. So like with my freelance writing, I actually am able to get a lot of jobs through some of the Facebook groups I'm in. And that was kind of a trial and error period that I had to go through looking through different Facebook groups joining and leaving some to see which ones I liked better to see like the jobs available that they had there. Um, So you could start out with smaller clients through those avenues.
2: What do you think about like what you kind of mentioned in terms of like asking your friends and family to hire you? Like, is that concerning? Is that good? Like, you know, like, If your sister needs childcare, being like, I could be the kid's babysitter slash aunt, uncle, like, you know, like, what are your thoughts on kind of crossing those personal and professional lines?
1: So, I mean, definitely cross them with some caution. I've worked with both my mom and my dad. I was not good with either one of them working, but that's just the way that we were. I'm not sure how other people's relationships are, like, if they're able to work with their family, like in a, you know, a way that it's not going to get weird, or it's not going to you know, cross certain boundaries, especially with friends too. So definitely like assess those situations on your own. Like if you feel uncomfortable reaching out to them, or maybe they won't receive it well, then don't do that. So you could go like online on those other areas, like Facebook groups, Instagram, looking at like small businesses, you can look at like the hashtag small business and kind of go from there. Um, And then like, if you like follow people that are doing what you want to do, And then just kind of watch their posts and their stories, and maybe see like any communities that they're in. You can go join them as well. That's what I think is probably one of the most beneficial ways to do that is following people that are already doing what you want to do.
3: I've definitely hired friends to do little jobs for me before, Um, and it it generally has has worked out. Also, like have my sister do. My sister runs my merch store. Does like a few things. She builds websites. Like you know, I think. I'm trying to think if I've ever felt like pressured to hire someone. I don't really think so. I think like asking within your people that you know is, to me, has been good because I trust those people already.
1: Right. That's another plus is if you trust them already,
3: they'll probably be pretty good
1: workers. But if you, if there is like some, some gray area there, then, you know, they go the other avenues.
3: Yeah. It's different because you're their boss, but you could also text them and be like, excuse me, where the fuck are you? In a way that <laughs> right. like,
1: Like, are you fucking serious? (laughs) Yeah. I hired
3: my sister as a PA one time and she texted me at like six in the morning before the shoot and was like, so where, who do I give my coffee order to? And I was like, you, we give our coffee (laughs) orders to you, bitch. (laughs) You bring us the coffee. You're the PA. She's like, oh, damn. So there you go. So it's a little, more laid back that way then. I've heard a lot of people say that they love something. They do it as a side hustle and they start hating it. How do you deal with that? You move on. <laughs> That's what I do.
1: Really? Yeah. I used to paint and sell my paintings. So I did live painting. I would get paid for the live painting. I would just go to shows and concert, I would, concerts. I would go to the venues and ask them like, hey, can I go and live paint on these nights? And they would say, yeah. So I would go and set up my stuff. This was back in like 2013, 2014 and then I would bring my finished paintings with me like maybe five of them and set them up next to each other and people would come and buy them and then I would sell some like online through Facebook which is back then this was the I guess when I was on Facebook the majority of the time and I would sell some on Facebook too I just did not like the way it was when I was pressured to make something specific for like custom paintings um, especially if it was something that like I didn't Really feel because I'm more of those like a painter that is abstract and like kind of goes with the flow. And when I have to paint like something specific that someone has ordered, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. So it just did not work out for me. And I just decided to move on. I just left it, but I still paint as a hobby. And I'm just going to say, it's going to say my hobby just not monetized.
3: Yeah, I was going to say there's so much pressure to have hobbies that are monetized. Yeah. I feel like that's a danger is that people have a hobby and they feel like it has to be monetized. And it's so hard to find and commit to a hobby that like my brain doesn't say turn this into money
1: right oh my god like our society is like seriously pushing that too and i do think it's dangerous we should have things that just stay ours you know Mm -hmm. the time with your hobby is restorative and if you try to monetize every hobby that you have it's going to affect your outlook on life
2: do you ever have clients with full-time jobs who are worried about their employers finding out that they have side hustles Yes,
1: I do. There are specifically my employer that I had to go through a legal process to get mine approved. So before oh. I actually started, yeah, before I started my job, the job that I have now, which I work remote, but when I did work in the office, when I first started, I already had my blog. I already had like my domain. I like to dabble.com. But then um, when I first started, they sent me a bunch of paperwork because I had to disclose any domains that I owned since it is a fintech company that I work at. So I disclosed the domain that I own, and then I had to have a meeting with my manager to talk about what my site actually was, which really was just a form. I just wanted like the domain, the name, and this is what, you know, the website is about. And then he looked at it, really, like you really have me, he looked at it and did like a check, and then it went to their legal apartment and they did like another check. And that was it. And so that was only because there was a policy there because of the domains that I own. But outside of that, if your employer doesn't have a policy that you have to disclose, like any domain ownership or any work outside of your work, then I'm not going to say that you have to tell them or have to not tell them because I'm not like a, you know, a lawyer or anything. But if it's something where it might affect the environment on your team or the relationship you have with your manager, you know, you don't want to maybe not tell them <laughs> if, you, if you think yeah. that, you know, if you need that job but you think that they won't receive it well, don't tell them if there's not a policy around it. If there is a policy, I definitely recommend consulting an employment lawyer. So, you know, you can find those either within your company and there's a website you can go to to find national employment lawyers.
3: Is it the National Employment Law Project? <laughs> yeah,
1: there we go. Yes,
3: <laughs> you, you can consult them. Oh, believe me, we've had reps of theirs on Bad With Money before. I hate that because I feel like what you do off the clock is none of your job's business. If you are not physically at that job, then the boss doesn't get to tell me what to do. I hate when it's like, this teacher was fired because they did like a voice, I don't know, sex chat room, whatever. It's like, I think the root of this is one, slut shaming and two, pay them enough. Like I feel like any boss who is like, you need to disclose your side hustles. I hate you. Your employees are allowed to make money off the clock. Even, and this is a hot take, even if it's something that is the same skills that you're using at your job, So like if your job, main job is in tech and then your side hustles are also in tech, too fucking bad. You know, that's your skill set. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I definitely agree with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever have issues with clients feeling shame around having to advertise their side hustle? That, like, that's how you get clients, that's how you get money, but then, like, they don't want to admit that they're having to have a side hustle? Oh, that's a good question. You mean that
1: they don't want to admit that they have a side hustle, but they're trying to market their side hustle?
2: Kind of, of, like, you know, feeling, like, either, like, shame that they're not making enough money at their full-time job or that they have lost their jobs. So now they're in the side hustle business. Like, I just feel like we have so much value tied into our, our work. And I wonder if like, sometimes there's like a level of like, either embarrassment or shame about like having to pr- promote yourself doing this new thing.
1: Right. That is a good question. So you know, there's a lot of shame around just promoting your side hustle, your business online at all yep. when you first mm-hmm. start out. It is so weird and uncomfortable and gross and icky. And there's still something deep down inside my gut every time that I see something that we post out from, I like to dabble, like on social media, especially if it's like for Facebook. And I'm like, God, why do I still feel like this? And that's, mm-hmm. that's the same thing with a lot of my clients. They just feel icky because they don't want to sell. They feel icky selling, mm-hmm. but you know, that's like a whole thing to get around. Um, on the other point though, where... They have to start a side hustle because they need more money. Yeah, there, there is some shame around that. and You don't see a lot of people actually talking about that or admitting it either.
3: Yeah, there's like an element of self-promotion is cringy. Yes. Or like, you know, again, this episode is about money. So sorry to bring up my podcast a lot. But there we did an episode with Jamie Schmidt who founded Schmidt's Naturals. And this was a person who was making their own deodorant in their home. And then that's how it started. And they started selling it at farmer's markets, all this stuff. And we were talking about, like, the shame of being like, hi, guys, like, do you want to buy my deodorant? Like, please buy it. And, like, people in your life being like, oh, my God, it's so embarrassing. And even I'm sure, like, Allison and I felt that, like, posting our YouTube videos in the beginning and being like, you know,
2: I still feel that. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Like promoting anything that we've done. Like, it feels like everyone in your life is going, Oh, Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? I think 80% of my success is just the ability to push through shame and ask for things. And I feel like that's similar to side hustling and dabbling is like 80% of your success is going to be like, I'm uncomfortable. And this is like I understand cringy, but in order to get work, I'm pushing through that. Right.
1: Yeah. Cause it's like this feeling of cringe is like, where the, where's that even coming from? So just, you know, like pushing past it is definitely important. I actually read her book, Jamie's book. It was really good. Oh, she's great. She is great. And it's so funny. Cause like people in my own family and like my life will be just mostly on my family side will ask me like, Oh, how work is doing like everything at my full time job. Cause that's like what they're focused on, but I'll be featured in somewhere like CNBC and they'll just completely overlook it. Like, oh, it's your little blog. It's yeah. like, what little
3: blog? <laughs> in the beginning, I feel like you're going to get the most side eye from people that you think love you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, right. I've, like, listened to so many, like, podcast episodes or books about this. It's like, they see you as the person you were before, like, what you did. Yeah. And then I guess it's something with, like, some insecure, like, you know, they might feel trapped or something in their own situation. They see you branching out and doing something So, like, they have to, I guess, I don't know, I don't know why, like, why they do this, but I wish it would stop.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's this anti-self-promotion, anti-selfies, anti, anti, you know, it's kind of like, yeah largely, I think a lot of people that are doing side hustles are women. And I think that there is an element of like, I don't know why, but something in my stomach doesn't like women promoting themselves. (laughs) Like, I don't know why, but it's hitting me weird. And I'm like, well, that's misogyny. Welcome. But then also that same thing is what MLMs prey on. Yes. MLMs then come after women in particular, largely because that's a vulnerable population, because they want to make you think that you can make a lot of money. But one thing that is interesting about MLMs that is different from what you're saying that I want to make a distinction of to our audience is that MLMs make you think that you're a small business and make you think that you're working for yourself and you're not. You're you're an affiliate of a billion-dollar corporation or a million-dollar corporation. If you sold your own work and your own art and your own stuff that would be a small business but mlms make it seem like you are working for yourself and you're actually building up a pyramid to make more money for other people at the top so that is the huge distinction i don't want people to take away from this like well i'm in an mlm and when my when my family says it's an mlm they're just haters no (laughs) (laughs) right yeah no that is a good distinction to
1: make that yeah MLMs are different than having a small business. And I've had people come to me before and actually ask me about like, oh, becoming a social media manager or a virtual assistant. What fees are associated with that? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's like the MLM language has been ingrained in people's heads, especially yep. a lot of women have been in an MLM, you know, like working, maybe looking for different side hustles now. So they think like, well, what's the fees that I have to pay for that? It's like, mm -mm, that's not a fee. You will have expenses when you start a small business, but those are not fees.
3: Yep. I just want to put a little, you know, nip there like, mm, okay, but just be careful about don't join an MLM.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If if you're thinking about the entire (laughs) holistic structure of what you're joining, if it looks like a pyramid, run the the complete opposite direction.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And how do you kind of like let somebody know, okay, what you're doing isn't working? This side hustle. whatever reason isn't making you enough money to be worth the time like how do you figure that out
1: (laughs) that's if you are spending more than you're making every month you know that's like without kind of the intention of growing like Mm -hmm. you're not really having a plan but you just you're you know you're spending more than you're making so it's not worth that time that you're putting into it or if you're working side hustles that after fees and taxes and expenses are coming out to be less than minimum wage you might need to find ways to either add to those income streams or like improve them in some way or find a different side hustle. So for instance, I tried drop shipping myself, not drop shipping myself, but drop shipping on like Etsy. So mm. I used a app called Printify. So, you know, I made the designs in Canva, I uploaded them to the d- items I wanted to in Printify, and then Printify linked to Etsy to sell the items. I did it in the gothic wedding niche right before COVID just to try it out. And it was cool. I liked it. It was fun. I got a couple of group orders that were pretty big that I I was like, okay, this is great. But the drop shipping was like really, I don't know how to say like unstable. Like I couldn't tell the person like exactly when they would get their order because the manufacturer would be like running behind or something. Mm-hmm. And then the Etsy fees were taking too much and the printify fee- fees were taking too much. So after like everything panned out, I was like, After like a group order, I made like $20 on one of them. I was like, this is not worth it. I was like, and my heart's not really in this. I'm not, I just did it like to try it out. Like, you know, I wasn't really that interested in it. So I closed it and I was like, move on. It's mostly just like for the curiosity myself to see like, how did it work and what people really made. I mean, if somebody were to sit down and like really put in the work on Etsy, I'm sure you could do a good drop shipping business after a supply chain crisis maybe passes, but.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a wedding business pre-COVID. Oh no. It was a business. It was like,
1: Starting Just starting on Etsy, doing, like, gothic wedding, like, little kishi phrases and illustrations and stuff.
2: So do people often have to try a couple different things but before figuring out what works for them and is, you know, valuable?
1: I mean, if you're somebody who knows exactly what they want to do, I applaud you. I am not. So I had to try a bunch of different things. So it depends on, like, the person. Or when you first start, it might look a whole lot different than when you finally, like, start, you know, finding your groove and making more income and having less expenses and maybe like spending less time on it too mm-hmm. so like if you're spending all of your time like 10 hours a day and all of your weekends but you're hardly making what you want to make then yeah probably time to maybe try
2: something different would you like to try something different and play a game show yes <laughs> <laughs> okay great so this game is called hypotheticals you and gabby are my contestants i'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations you can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then I just arbitrarily decide the winner. And sometimes nobody wins. Aww. I know. Boo. Like capitalism. Okay. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, our first game is America's favorite game show Would You Stay With This Cheater? Your partner of 16 years constantly makes sports bets with their group of friends. One of their friends proposes that if the Baltimore Orioles win the next World Series, your partner has to sleep with them. But if the Orioles don't win, then they will pay your partner $10,000. Your partner takes the bet thinking it's great odds, but then the Orioles win, so they sleep with their friend because they are a person of their word. Would you stay with this cheater? Who is this friend? Um, <laughs> It's just a friend who just like really loves to kind of like push boundaries and like, and do weird stuff.
3: Am I part of this betting group? No. And- did they consult me before they took
2: the bet? There was no chance the Baltimore Orioles were going to win the World Series. They thought that it was the safest bet you could humanly take, so they didn't tell you about it.
3: And did they tell me before they hooked up with them?
2: Uh, yeah. And you said, please don't do that. And they said, look, I've got to uphold my bet. That's really important to me and my values.
3: Yeah, I'm going to
1: leave. <laughs> yeah, I leave too. At first, I was like, wait, what's the Baltimore Orioles?
3: But yeah, yeah I leave. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, yeah, because I feel like I don't like coercion, but I kind of suspect that my partner like likes them and wanted to do this anyway.
2: Ooh, they didn't. But that's so sad. I know, but they took the bet. That's really sad. Gambling is a slippery slope. Oh, that's what this, yeah. So that's what we're here to teach
3: you, Daniella, is that gambling is bad. <laughs> gambling is bad. <laughs>
2: So you would both leave? Yeah. Would you leave? Yeah, I would absolutely leave. What if they say, I'll give you $9,000? Never mind, They didn't get the money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Our next game. Is this a date? You are taking a solo vacation. While in the shuttle that takes you to the hotel, you start talking to a nice couple. They invite you to join them for a candlelit dinner that evening so you can keep the conversation going. Is this a date? Yeah. With the couple? I guess, yeah. I think it's a date. <laughs> are you excited yeah. that I've I've created my first potentially polyamorous
3: is this a date situation? Oh, right. That's true. Yeah, I think it is a date. I think anytime you're on a solo vacation, you're like advertising, like, try to have a threesome with me. I'm on a solo vacation. <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? Like, why else are you on a solo vacation if not to like eat, pray, love, you know? <laughs>
2: No, you got to do the love part. Yeah. You would think if you accept it, then you're accepting being on a romantic date with them and not just a friendly dinner.
3: Yes. Handle it. Right? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Where is this vacation?
2: It is in Hawaii. Yeah, see?
3: Yes. If you had been like, this vacation is date in Ohio, I'd be like, okay, not a date. <laughs> but Hawaii? <laughs>
4: yeah,
3: it's a date. Yeah, absolutely a date. And it's a chapter for your memoir.
2: But what would you think if when the bill comes, they want to split it? Well, what are their jobs? What are both their jobs? Side hustles.
1: <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> what side hustles? If they're making like passive income from their, I don't know, 1 million follower YouTube then they can pay
2: the bill.
3: Right. Maybe. <laughs> I'd be like, I can pay you in.
2: That's your side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> okay. Our final game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 15, has an itchy rash all over their body, but refuses to see a doctor about it. One of your colleagues is married to a dermatologist. So you decide to host a huge pool party where you invite the colleague and the dermatologist. You then ask the dermatologist to sneakily look at your child's skin as they walk around in a bathing suit and make a diagnosis. Are you a terrible parent?
3: How many people are at this party?
2: Um, 45. Jesus Christ.
3: <laughs> I don't know. Daniella, what, why are you a terrible parent? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I don't have any kids, but yeah. I don't want to say what's a terrible parent, but... The word sneakingly. Ah. And the
1: swimsuit thing. Yeah, I'm a terrible parent. Oh
3: my God. Yeah, because what if the kid is like, this is a pedophile. This person who I don't know is if they're a doctor or not. They're following me around trying to look at my skin. No, the person is very
2: subtle about it. Very subtle, l- sneaky looks.
3: Why doesn't my kid just want to go to the
2: doctor? <laughs> they say they're too busy.
3: Oh, they're too busy <laughs> they to go to busy? the doctor not- and <laughs> pool party they don't have any shame about the rash because they're clearly exposing it at the pool party yeah what if it's contagious other people could get it at the pool party they go in the pool they get their
2: germs in the pool that's a huge and really great point
3: i think you're a terrible parent because now you've exposed everyone in the pool to your child's itchy rash
2: yeah terrible parent that's fair but it was just eczema
3: okay but how do we know that guess we should ask that question. How do we know it's not flesh-eating bacteria that then is in the pool and that's how you get flesh-eating bacteria?
2: Or like ringworm or something. Ringworm! You're rash-shaming a little bit right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I guess, okay, I guess I'll give it to you that it's a pretty terrible parent. I feel like if your kids are 15, you, can you force them to go to the doctor? Yeah, you can. Okay, I'm learning so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you, what you do, and potentially get some... Some extra advice about side hustling.
1: Yeah, they could go to my website, I like to dabble.com and take the free side hustle quiz, or they can find me on Instagram at iLectodabbleblog. Like Amazing. Thank, Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about reboots. Looking at you, Sex in the City.
0: Has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a New Year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix? I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out. And I think the not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that. So if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress, I would love to be able to fix it. I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something and all of a sudden my brain will go, oh, <gasps> JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by ElectroCore and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which, if used twice a day, will last approximately six months. It's drug free and easy to use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30 day money back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit truevega.com. T R U V A G A dot com and enter promo code justbetweenus to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's T R U V A G A dot com. Check out promo code justbetweenus.
2: Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Tom x XXXXXXX, baby.
3: Baby. You said second city. I thought you were going to be referencing West Side
2: Story, the reboot of West Side Story that's oh, coming out. There's well, so many
4: things.
3: You can yeah, reference.
2: obviously. Reboots are all around us.
3: So, as everyone knows, nobody knows. I have a neighbor named Dita, elderly neighbor, and she used to work as a script coordinator in Hollywood in the 80s. We just had a conversation yesterday, last night, she came over as she does to have dinner with us, and she hates reboots. And she was railing against them because we were talking about the West Side Story reboot. And she was like, why don't they just watch the original? (laughs) Why can't young? Because I was like, well, they do it to like get young people interested. And she was like, well, why aren't young people interested in the original version? And to me, I agree with her. I think like there's two different types. If it's a reboot like the Sex and the City one, where it's like we're getting the characters back together, we're doing a new show of them, fine. But if it's like we're gonna remake the same five movies over and over again until the end of time,
4: why? Stars, board. why are you just why has making it been it? Run, remade like 20 million times?
2: That's what I'm saying. Because so I think it comes from this fear of doing something new. That like it's a money driven industry, and they're like, oh, we can't take it risk on a brand new idea but
4: then i was just also like because bradley cooper was getting all this praise for like his directing style and i'm like you've got the blueprint already Mm -hmm. there yeah
3: i mean this is the the thing is that even stuff that's like new like they'll want to rely on name recognition so you know for example i had a meeting with a toy company and they were like we want to do a show or a movie based on one of our toys But the thing is, it's like, okay. so let's say it's like a the Lego movie has the word Lego in it. It's got Lego characters, but it's an original plot. Yeah. Why did it need to be under the Lego move? You know what I mean? Like, why can't it just be like, here's a new cartoon rather than like, it's a cartoon based on this thing, based on this other thing. It's because, like Allison said, they're scared. It's the fear of not having an IP and they don't trust that the audience will go see a thing that doesn't have IP behind
2: it. Yeah, I would be so worried if I was part of some iconic series or film to do a reboot. Of course. Right? Like you're taking on this risk that you're going to like tarnish it or ruin it or get it wrong or, you know, like leave people with material that's like much worse than what you've already done. I.e.,
4: did either one of you watch the Murphy Brown reboot? No, No, and
3: I love the original Murphy Brown. I love the
4: original Murphy Brown. Yeah. The reboot was the most awful thing that I have ever seen
3: on
2: television.
4: It was so bad why don't you just watch the
2: old one? Like, this is what I don't understand. It's because they want they can't make as much money off of the old one. Yeah. But I I think like the creatives, I mean, I'm sure that some of their motive is financial as well, because then they're going to get paid for a new project. It's so risky. Yeah, (laughs) It's
3: hard too because those actors were so iconic in those roles. And then they do a reboot and they're back in those roles. And everyone's like, yay. But I'm like, as an actor, they're probably grateful for having an iconic role, but it's also like, I wish that my other stuff had been, had worked out or had been as successful or something, you know? There's almost no way to get a reboot correct. I oh, think sorry.
4: One Day at a Time was really good. But, like, it was a reboot, but it also had nothing to do with the original that's series. That's the thing. It
3: had nothing to do with it. It was the same title, and it was about a family. Right. But, like, that's it. It just used the same title.
2: Mm-hmm. And, like, if you... Completely reimagine it, right? So if you're doing something super creative and different than what was originally done, that's, I think, like interesting. But I think it's like really challenging to just sort of like six years later same cast same everything but like we're doing it again or like 20 years later we're like telling the same story but just with different actors like i don't know like will and grace
4: was okay but it was it didn't recapture the same thing that the original series did right they also rewrote what the last episode of the original series so that it would make sense for the reboot oh tell us (laughs) the original like what we saw, how the original series ended with them like dropping their kids off at college and them not being friends anymore. And then seeing their like kids that they raised separately and then like they rekindled their friendship from that. And then they had to scratch all of that when they did the reboot because they didn't have kids old enough to be in college. So they had mm. to
2: redo oh. that. Wait, they ended it with them not being friends yes. anymore? Yeah. I remember that yeah. because
3: my grandmother was furious. Yeah. Why did they do that?
4: I forgot what they had a fight over.
3: Yeah, I don't really know. I know they retconned Karen where Karen was like bisexual in the in the original series and then in the reboot she wasn't. Yeah. Something like that where people were like annoyed. I think it's tough because shows are a combination of acting, writing, and the zeitgeist of the time they were released. Mm-hmm. And movies too. Some things that don't hold up, they don't hold up because society has changed. Mm-hmm. So like the success of it, like Jurassic Park worked at the time because it had practical effects that were so cool Mm -hmm. and so beyond what had been achieved prior. So that was part of what was awe-inspiring about it. When you remake it nowadays with CGI, it doesn't have the magic that it had at the time. It's not going to capture people the same way. Mm -hmm. And the people who liked the original, it's not going to capture them the same way because it doesn't have the same spirit right. because you're not having the experience of seeing the raptors for the first time.
4: So I don't know. Yeah, that's. I think that's the same thing with a lot of action movies now. Mm-hmm. Like
3: you,
4: you don't feel that same feeling that you did when you watched action movies back in the day because mm-hmm. they were doing a lot of things practically and with stunts and stuff.
2: And now it's just all CGI.
3: I hate CGI so much. I hate it. The
2: smartest way I've ever seen anything like rebooted is in Curb Your Enthusiasm where there was a whole because Curb for people who don't know wow I'm about to change your life but (laughs) (laughs) it's Larry David who was the co-creator of Seinfeld and there's and it's like about his life as like he's playing himself and in season seven of Curb Your Enthusiasm the plot for that season is that he's gonna make a Seinfeld reunion and so you get to, to kind of like watch this like hilarious behind the scenes making of the Seinfeld reunion. So you get that. You get to see all the characters from Seinfeld. You get to see like what the plot lines would have been in the reunion. But you're doing it in this like totally different way where like you don't ever see the full episode of it. But you get to see like some scenes. And like I just thought that was so mm-hmm. brilliant. I felt that way about Beverly Hills 90210
4: when they did the not the cw show that right. they did but they did a reboot with the original cast but they were playing themselves making the reboot ah! <laughs> so ah! they are playing fictional versions of themselves remaking the show oh i didn't know that that's so cool it, i wasn't like a because i was too young to be like a diehard fan yeah. of that show but i did watch some episodes when it was like on Soapnet. <laughs> Um, and so uh, I thought it was really original but it made a lot of the fans like mad Mm. and then I think like as a show it was great
2: yeah like adding some creativity Mm -hmm. to it versus just a reboot yeah Um,
3: I am such a fan of classic movies that with rebooting them as a creator I wish they would take chances on new stuff and as a person who likes old movies like my dad had me watch the movies that he liked the old movies that he liked We didn't need a reboot of them, you know, like I, I I guess sometimes people say, oh, well, let's do a reboot that is more diverse. Like I'm thinking of like, okay, like the brandy Cinderella Mm -hmm. that I get.
4: But it's also that's not really a reboot because it was the making the stage version of it.
3: The fairy tale. Yeah. So like in some ways, I'm like, OK, I get that. Like, it's interesting to do that. And that's the only case that I will accept. (laughs) If you were going to do West Side Story and you were going to change the characters and become a little bit more... I just... My problem is that Maria is still very (laughs) light-skinned. Which, like, you know, I don't know. I think if you're going to reboot something and it's in the modern era, then, like, go for it. Don't, like, make it the exact same.
4: Yeah. Like, I like Maleficent. I feel like it's good because you take the story of Sleeping Beauty, but change, but show it from a different character's point of view.
2: 100%. Like, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Give me West
3: Side yeah. Story starring Anita. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I think.
2: Well said. <laughs> <laughs> what
3: did we rate this episode? I rate it five out of four dog walking businesses. Ooh.
2: I'll rate it 17 out of 14 children. Okay. Just kept it real simple. <laughs> Just little children that go, ooh, hello. I'm going to rate it 32 out of
4: 29. Reboot my show that doesn't exist five times. So then my children's children can get paid from it.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yes.
3: Oh, man. And also, uh, Allison very sweetly brought up after we did the international question, that uh, she feels that I really love children and that my answers were fear based and that if I want to have a kid, I should have a kid. And it was very nice of you.
2: Oh, I just, you know, I know how much you love children. I can't relate to it, but I (laughs) I know how much you love children. And so
3: I do love them. And she brought up fostering, which is an excellent point that could also be made to our listener. Well, thank you to Daniela Flores for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Bohm, Joe Silio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns
2: composed our killer theme music.
3: To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at
2: foreverdogpodcast.com. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash us show i forgot the name of our own youtube <laughs> channel <laughs> make sure to follow us on twitter instagram and facebook
3: at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news also at she is not melissa at allison raskin and at gabby road also patreon.com slash emotional support lady and patreon.com slash gabby bye. Bye.
0: forever bye <coughs>